the the second reading is from first Peter chapter four and verses one to eleven. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so they might be judged according to men in regard to the body but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power for ever and ever. Amen. Well, let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, Father, we pray that you give us understanding of this word. And most of all, Lord, we pray that you help us to apply it in our lives. Strengthen us with your word. Equip us so that we will live godly lives for Jesus. And Father, we pray your your blessing upon the preaching, the proclamation of this word, that your Holy Spirit will do his work in my life and all present here, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, when was the last time that you invited someone to your home? Or perhaps, when was the last time that you were invited out? Uh, Do you enjoy hanging out with people? Do you um, enjoy catching up with people? Well, I do. I think it is really great to meet up with people and catch up with each other over a soup and a sandwich, yamcha, dumplings. We heard dumplings mentioned this morning. Do you like dumplings? Come on. Yes, of course. Everyone loves dumplings, right? Right. Dumplings. What about pizzas? Right. All the variety of pizzas today. Tandoori pizza, you name it, margarita, everything. It's all out on the market. It's, uh, and it's, it's a wonderful thing to meet around food. I haven't mentioned even rice and curry. 
right? It's a wonderful opportunity for us to meet up together. Just last night, I went out for dinner with my, my father. He celebrated his, actually celebrating his 79th birthday today. And so we had a family outing yesterday, and it was just so wonderful. I went to his place, and uh, we had some food there, and we went out to a restaurant out uh, in Cranbourne Way. And just as I was driving out, I was thinking, how good is God? His grace, His goodness, providing family and friends, meeting up with people, meeting up with family, enjoying food together, and talking with one another. God is good. He has blessed us immensely in this country here in Australia. We never take it for granted, can we? The freedom we have here, the beauty of this nation, the freshness of a day like this today, even though it's so cold in the morning. Just think about God's goodness to us in many ways. You see, there is something special when we show hospitality to one another and when we serve one another. We build relationships. We get to know one another. We're able to share with each other. See, we live in a socially isolated community today. One does not have to go uh, to leave the house today to do, sh- to do your shopping. You can do your shopping online, right? Uh, on eBay. You go there, you can get your stuff sent right to your doorstep. You don't have to go to, the gross- to do grocery shopping anymore. You can do it online and have it delivered to your house. Do you, go to, do you visit the banks? Well, I haven't gone to a bank for a long time because I do all my banking online. We can be on Facebook and communicate with people without actually having to meet them personally for a coffee or a meal. So we live in a socially isolated society. An article in the Australian uh, says, said this, having a poor social network is just as likely to send you to an early grave as smoking or alcohol abuse. A scientific review of 148 previous studies involving more than 300,000 people found that those with adequate social relationships were 50% more likely to be alive after an average follow-up period of nearly eight years compared to more socially isolated people. Being socially disconnected, a loose term usually taken to mean having a few good friends or strong family relationships, was said to be equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes per day and to heavy drinking. It was also worse for someone's health and twice as bad for one's health as being obese. How sad to be socially isolated. And there are so many people living such lives today. The point is, friends, relationships are very much part of the fabric of our lives and society. We are social beings, and social networking is very much part of our human existence. And hospitality is very much part of it. And today we look at this hospitality, the Bible speaks of that, of service and God's and praise to God. Now in this section, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 to 11, Peter gives us four practical ways that we are to live in Christian community as the end of all things are near, verses 7 to 11. And I've uh, highlighted two of those things last week. Four major themes here. Think rightly and be clear-minded so you can pray. Be earnest in love for one another as love covers a multitude of sins. Then be graciously hospitable. 
serve one another with the gifts you have received. We saw that last week, the first two aspects of it. And today we will look at the remainder of this practical section in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 9 to 11, which is our text for this morning. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. As I was preparing this text, I was looking at this passage, exegeting this passage, there are incredible themes here, probably three messages here. Right? I'm going to combine all of that here in one this morning. But Peter says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, why should we offer hospitality? What is it? What does hospitality actually mean? One definition of hospitality is this. Hospitality is the quality or disposition of receiving and treating guests and strangers in a warm, friendly, generous way. Not one word about impressing the guest with food, the after-dinner entertainment, or even the surroundings. Not one word about it. Right? The very definition takes the focus of things and puts it back where it belongs. On people and fellowship and relationship building. It's an attitude as well as an action. This word hospitality literally means to love strangers. To love strangers. Hospitality from a Christian perspective is a willingness to share what God has given us. Including our home, our finances and the food that we share. It is an attitude of stewardship. We do not own anything because we are merely the caretakers of what God has given to us. He is the owner of everything and he desires that we share and be generous with what he has provided for us with gratitude to him. It is honoring God when we do that. So hospitality is a virtue that is commanded and it is commended in the Bible. For example, Moses uh, said this in, in Exodus chapter 22, You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. In Leviticus, again in the Old Testament, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall, do to, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So in the Old Testament, hospitality was expected. Travelers would arrive in the town square at the end of the day, and expect someone to invite them into their homes. How's that for a change, eh? Imagine that. And Peter encourages his readers to do the same thing, to be hospitable. Now there are some commentators here who are of the view that Peter meant that Christians are to welcome other Christians into their homes as overnight guests. I'll explain why. You see, Peter was addressing first century Christians, and at the time, there were not many places where people could stay overnight. And therefore, Christians were to offer hospitality to other Christians who came to town as a matter of practical help and courtesy. And also at the time, 
there were no church buildings like this. People met in, where did they met? They met in homes, right? House churches. It's what happened in, what's taking place in many countries in the world. At homes, at people's homes for worship and fellowship. So therefore they were to be hospitable. Now whilst this might be the case, there is nothing I think in the immediate context, if you look at the Bible clearly, to suggest that this hospitality specifically focused on overnight guests or church gatherings. I think it is all comprehensive. I say this because of the repeated reference of the phrase for one another in the passage. Love one another, show hospitality to one another, serve one another. Three things. So hospitality is to be very much part of our lives. Uh, One writer says this about hospitality. Hospitality takes love beyond the circle of Christian friends to other believers so that they can get to know others as well. Pushes us out. It is an important command. The Apostle Paul uh, speaks about hospitality in the passage that we read. Uh, Love must be sincere and so forth. And in verse 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with God's people who are in need and... That's the last two words there. Practice hospitality. Hospitality should be the characteristic of every leader in the church. If you're a pastor, myself, if you're an elder, you're a leader, you should be known to be a lover of hospitality. Why do I say that? Because 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 and 2, here is a trustworthy saying. That whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, and what's the word there? Hospitable. Do you see that? To the elders here this morning, to the leaders of our church, there is an open-heartedness to one another. As Christians, we are to be hospitable. Hospitality will push us out of our comfort zone to invite those whom we normally would not hang out with so that we can get to know one another and encourage one another. Hospitality is a loving responsibility for all of us and all Christians must practice it with an open heart, an open hand and an open home. Right? An open heart, open hand and an open home. In doing so, we can connect with one another. We can reach across ethnic, cultural, social barriers because at its heart of hospitality is the gospel of Jesus Christ. God is generous. He is hospitable. He is good. Uh, John Piper, uh, speaking on strategic hospitality, says this. What happens when we practice hospitality? When we practice hospitality, here's what happens. We experience the refreshing joy of becoming conduits of God's hospitality rather than being self-decaying, cul-de-sacs. The joy of receiving God's hospitality decays and dies if it doesn't flourish in our own hospitality to others. And then he says this further. Or here is another way to put it. When we practice hospitality, we experience the thrill of feeling God's power conquer our fears and our stinginess and all the psychological gravity of our self-centeredness. 
And there are few joys, if any greater, than the joy of experiencing the liberating power of God's hospitality, making us a new and radically different kind of people who love to reflect the glory of his grace as we extend it to others in all kinds of hospitality. Friends, hospitality, it's, have we forgotten about it? Have we? I studied hard in Sri Lanka. And I received a scholarship to come to Australia. It was hard work. I have to receive, attain a certain grade, uh, sit an English exam, studied uh, to get through that one as well. I won a scholarship to come here to Australia. I remember working hard to, to get this scholarship. I remember when I first came to Australia as a student, I lived in Geelong. I think I've told you this in the past, and it was tough. And as I started attending the Reformed Church in Geelong, most Sundays... And sometimes during the week, people invited me, a complete stranger, complete stranger, into their home and gave me hospitality. They put the food out there for me on Sundays, during the week. And I used to, because Sundays were the most loneliest days for me. I'm telling you seriously. All my friends, no offense, they were all Australians. They went to their places of friends and homes and so forth. And I was the only guy there from Asian background at the time. I was sitting there, and it was so lonely. I, I called my parents many times and said, I am coming back home. I am homesick. I can't manage it anymore. I'm coming back, mom. And they encouraged me over the phone. Oh, we're praying for you, son. Continue on, right? And God's people provided hospitality to me. And I remember it so fresh in my mind, even as today. They opened their homes for a stranger to come in. And that hospitality has helped me so much. It is so fresh. And the Lord through them ministered to me because I think if it was not for their kindness, who knows? Who knows? I would have gone back. I may not be here today in this place. You see, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. When we were in Nurat, our first posting from uh, the Prezi Church, it was tough there as well. I remember Rose was teaching uh, music in the local school, and I went there, and I stood there at the door, and this young kid shouted to the, Mrs. Silver, there's a brown man at the door. He's never seen one like that in Nurat. What a strange guy there. Brown man. I had to laugh, of course. And the hospitality that God's people provided for us and myself in Nurat, in that congregation, a complete country setting with all farmers. I've never eaten scones, haggis, oh man, all of that kind of stuff, milk with all its cream, full on. Man, I worked through those things because God's people provided hospitality. You see what happens? There's so much of encouragement through it all, isn't it? So it ought to be the hospitality ought to be a delight and not done with murmuring. And Peter knows human nature and so he says, do it without grumbling. Being hospitable can cost money, it can cost time, it can cost energy. Uh, it's, you might feel you're vulnerable, you're opening up your home to people that you don't know. Uh, you've got to do the dusting and the cleaning up and the kitchen has to be done, the vacuuming has to be done. Man, oh man, how am I going to get through all of this before the visitors come and that doorbell goes and they're, wow, it's all done in the kitchen. Everything is neat. Now open the house now. 
I mean, we, we can panic about those things, isn't it? But we have to look beyond that, friends. Right? We are encouraged to have a positive attitude toward hospitality. But one writer puts, put it this way. Hospitality is not something we do over pragmatically. We do not practice hospitality to get conversions. We practice hospitality because it is right. We practice hospitality because we are God's people. We share God's goodness through our home because God has shown his goodness to us. Are you willing to open up your home to others? Are you willing to say, brother, sister, come home for a soup. Come home for a coffee. Come home for a scone. Come home for a sit-down meal together. I'd love to have you at our place. The author to the book of Hebrews says this, And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. You see, we are the New Testament royal priest. And these are acceptable sacrifices we have to offer. Are you hospitable? Are you hospitable? I'll throw the question to you this morning. Because, you see, it's very easy for us to say, Oh, I believe the Bible. Yes, it is God's word. It is, oh, man, I love it. Is it easy to practice it? <laughs> it's another thing, isn't it? Is, is hospitality a forgotten thing in the church? I'm asking the question to you, friends. I'm going to encourage you this morning. I was thinking about this message today. What would I want our people to go home with? Well, the take-home from this point is to be hospitable, to open up our homes. That includes myself, not be selfish, but to open up our homes so that others could come and we can share times together. Isn't that fantastic? Right? So don't be afraid. Practice it, and God will bless you. The blessings are immense with hospitality. And then Peter says, and we move on, he says, serve one another as each, in verse 10, as each one has received, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, in verse 11, as, as one who speaks oracles of God. Yet Peter does not say if one has received a gift. Notice that. But he says that each Christian has a gift. He assumes that Christ has given you a gift. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, then you are gifted. Right? You have a spiritual gift. God has given us spiritual gifts. And Peter is saying what Paul taught the Corinthians, that every believer is gifted by God. Isn't that tremendous? Our God is so good that he gives, he gives us gifts. He gives you a spiritual gift. This is beyond me. I mean, think about this. Our God saves us. He sent his son who died on the cross for my sin. He gives us the Holy Spirit who is sealed unto the day of redemption. And he gives us a gift. What does it tell us about our God? That our God is a, a generous God. Is he not? Come on. Yes. God is a generous God. He sent His Son. He gave His Son. He's given us gifts. And so Peter is saying, God has endowed each of His children 
a gift. But this gift is not to make you and I feel good about ourselves. It's not given so that I can boast or you can boast. It is not given so that we can serve our own interest. This is an investment that God has made in each of his people and he expects a return for this investment. And it is a gift given for the edification. When I use the word edification, I'll explain it. It means for the building up of the body of Christ. You see, the church is like a building. It has been built up on Christ the solid rock, on Christ the solid foundation. And God has given and gifted his church with gifts to be used. The whole church family is to be involved in ministry. Why? Because every believer has been endowed with a gift or gifts. And if you are a Christian, then I trust this morning that you will seek the Lord and ask him to show you the gift that he has given you. The gift God has given you so that you can serve him and others. Because God is a generous God with varied grace, the text tells us. We are to be stewards. What is stewardship? It's interesting to note that the English word steward, or this word uh, stewardship comes uh, from the, the, the Greek word oikonoma, which means essentially economics. It means the house, which means house law. And the steward in Bible times was not the owner of the house, but the one who managed the household affairs. And the steward was someone who managed and took care of the assets of the owner. And as Christians, when we speak of stewardship, we recognize that everything ultimately belongs to God. Our wealth, our gifts, finances, our talents, our lives. Are you a good steward of what God has given us, given you? So Peter is saying, if everything belongs then to God, which, uh, which, he, which does as Christians, then we ought to use our God-given gifts. And with that God-given gifts comes a God-given responsibility to use them. So think about the parable uh, that of the talents, for example, in Matthew chapter 25, which is very telling. See, God has given us natural talents. He's given us spiritual gifts to be used and not buried. And these gifts are from God's grace. Are you using it? Think about your life. Roughly how many more years would you have to live on earth? I mean, you make the calculation. None of us knows that, right? None of us really know that. We don't know. Uh, But I think we can, if God gives me grace, I might live for so many years. We'll We'll live one day at a time. How do I live the rest of my life for God? How am I going to use the gifts that God has given me today in 2013? What am I doing with the talents that God has given me? The gifts he's given me to play music, to, to lead people in music, to serve through the ministry teams of this church. You see, there's a document up the front there, Ministry Teams and Stevens Presbyterian Church, Surrey Hills. It's an opportunity for you to use your gifts. Why? Because you're building, edifying the body of Christ and you're serving God. Did you see that? So don't bury it, friends. Use it. Maybe God has specifically called you for something. And God is calling you to use that gift this morning in your life. I don't know what that it may be. And Peter doesn't expand on these gifts. He just makes the statement here on gifts in principle. I think that's what Peter gives here. 
says here, Peter gives us a general principle for the exercise of these gifts in verse 11. Those whose gifts involve speaking, that's public speaking, teaching, encouragement, proclamation of the scriptures, he has to do it as one who speaks the oracles of God. It's an interesting phrase there. I won't get into the theology of this for this morning because of the sake of time. But this does not mean that the words spoken by the preacher or whoever the teacher is are infallible. <laughs> right? Rather, they are to be spoken with the same care and solemnity that it deserves in the word. And James says, many of you should not be teachers because if you are, you will be held doubly accountable for it. And preachers included. And those guys who wear all their robes and their colored stuff and all of these bills and whistles and come up pulpits and talk mumbo jumbo stuff and say the Bible is not God's word, they will be held accountable. So if you have the gift of teaching, teach God's word humbly. But then Peter doesn't stop there, does he? He says about service to one another. And this incorporates a lot of things. It is having a willing spirit to serve and not be selfish. It is not being a consumer Christian. You know what a consumer Christian is? They come, they expect everything. They demand everything from the church. They criticize the church for everything else. Never contribute in any shape or form. The church is the worst possible place under the sun. Because I'm coming with an attitude to receive, to get, to get, and not to give. <laughs> what kind of mindset is that? Eh? What can I do to serve Christ and his people should be our heart? Are you? Notice the words what Peter says. As one who serves by the strength that God supplies. God gives strength to do his work. Don't bury your gift. Use it to serve the Lord. So Peter says then, as we move to the next aspects of the text here this morning, why are we to do these things? That is, think rightly, be clear-minded, be earnest in love, be graciously hospitable and serve one another with gifts we have received. We do these things not for our own glory. And the text tells us that in order that in everything, God might be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion. Ever and ever. Amen. I mean, that is a message in and of itself. Peter comes out with a doxology. He calls us to give God the glory. This is the goal of our existence. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for glory speaks of the weightiness of God. That's the, that's the Hebrew corresponding word. For those who study in Hebrew at the college, it's the weightiness of God. The weightiness is not in any physical sense, but in significance and substance. The Israelites thought of God's glory in terms of his weightiness. The word glory defines the very essence of God's being. And it came to be used of the very presence of God among his people. And so we read, for example, in Exodus uh, chapter 16 and verse 10, while Aaron was speaking, the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. 
You know, theologians call this type of appearance the glory, appearance of God, the Shekinah glory. That is the dwelling presence of God with his people. And it is the glory cloud that descends and covers Mount Sinai when God reveals his word to his people. And it is the glory cloud that descends into the Holy of Holies in both the tabernacle and the temple. The Shekinah glory is the sign that God's very being and essence resides amidst his people. The Augustine of Hippo often spoke of the gravitas of worship. He meant this. By this he meant the seriousness of mind that we must have when we think about God. We worship a weighty God. So we must always consider whether the worship we offer is light or weighty. When the church gathers on the Lord's day for worship, we need to ask ourselves if our worship reflects the full significance of who our God is, his attributes, his mercy, his holiness, his, his, his being. Have we lost the reverence? Have we lost the reverence for God? See, to glorify God is to give him the honor that he is due. The awesome God. Let us never offer anything less to him. And Peter says to him. Belong glory and dominion. Forever and ever. Does this glory refer to Jesus or God? The words here I believe applies to Christ. The greatest manifestation of the dwelling presence of God's glory. His essence is being. Among his people is in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The word became flesh. That's the reality, my dear friends, that something greater than the temple is here. Jesus, the true glory of God. And Peter closes this with a doxology of praise. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Dominion belongs to God. It's not for a moment. We are a moment, but not him. Governments come and go. Presidents come and go. Kings and queens will come and go. But glory and dominion belongs to the Lord. And then Peter concludes this with a little word. Amen. Our English term Amen is a direct transliteration from the Greek and Hebrew. And it means, let it be so. Or it is true and sure. Essentially, this is a word of affirmation. It is expressing our confidence in God. Is that amen to you? Does that mean, what does that amen mean to you this morning? Expressing your confidence in this God? So friends, this morning, we are called to be hospitable. I want to encourage us, you and myself, to open up our homes, all right? Yeah. <laughs> Right? Think about it. Open it up. Invite friends. Invite your brothers and sisters in Christ. Get to know them. Secondly, serve one another with the gifts that God has given you because don't bury it. Use it. Otherwise, it's a waste. And thirdly, do it all so that he will receive the glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray.